Hello and welcome to the calendar edition of the unofficial unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show. That's right, we're going through uh, a whole range of calendar-related activities today. I promise you up front that none of them, not one of them, will ever involve a photo of Sarah or myself nude. My name is Dan, thank you for joining us, and uh, grab your calendars and maybe a pen and a stiff drink. Sit down and get ready because we've got a lot to get through. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Dan. Are you sure you're not going to do a nude calendar? Uh, I am very sure I'm not going to do a nude calendar of myself. We could raise, but we could, we could, we could sell a nude calendar of you to, to raise money for the show. Um, look, send us to races. Honestly, we don't actually have to make the calendar if we're blackmailing people and asking them to send money to make sure I never do one. So, you know. Oh, good, good point. Let's get let's yeah. get on to that. Let's get on to that after the show. Hello. Oh my God, it's so busy. Mm. So busy, Daniel. I know. It's ridiculous. I mean, we touched on this last week that you know basically there isn't even time to catch your breath after the Giro Rosa finishes because July turns out to basically be. I, I think July in in um, the Latin translates to fucking stage race month. <laughs> um, the reason we talked about the calendar is because I've been doing some analysis mm. of the changes to the women's cycling calendar and I've, the next piece of analysis I've got to do is looking at all those races and how they all overlap with each other mm. yeah Sarah's done a, a great post that's up on Podium Cafe don't worry we'll link to it for you uh, but do make time to go read it because it's it's fascinating um, a couple of years ago she sort of did a similar thing where she Compared the 2006 calendar to, I think we were in 2011 then, um, just to see what races had disappeared, what races had been created, and where we were at. And she's updated that for us now. Um, and it's it's super, super interesting. I don't want to, um, you know, try and sum it all up, because there's, there's actually so much in there. But I was surprised by a whole bunch of things, including things like the total number of race days was was higher than I thought it was going to be as a net result. But the migration of races and the overlap of races, those were all things that really struck me from it. So um, great job, Sarah. And yeah, looking forward to, to more. She's got plans for more people. More. I do. I've, now I've started making charts. I can't stop. Mm-hmm. So, what I really is a minion to do all the work for me to kind of you know do the do the do the counting and the putting them in in, in spreadsheets and then I can just do the sexy analysis afterwards. If mm. you would like to be an unpaid minion intern for Sarah, please email us at prowomencycling at gmail dot com uh, with the subject headline "I want to be Sarah's sexy little unpaid minion." Um, <laughs> Thank oh my you. god, there are so many things I could do with a minion, and I don't mean like that. Oh, she means it exactly like that. Exactly. No, no, I don't. I mean, I mean it more in the terms of, and here's another job I'd like you to do for me. <laughs> While wearing this corset. <laughs> <laughs> I was imagining it more being a long-distance minionage thing. <laughs> You've heard of webcams. <laughs> No, I've got to tell you, if you are thinking of applying for my minion post, it's not sexy. But anyway, what should we talk about first, Dan? Uh, well, I think, you know, we've established a pretty firm tradition over the last uh, year and a bit, and I, I guess we should stick with it. Um, you know, you being British and all your head kind of explodes if we don't stick with tradition. So I guess that means we talk about races first. 
Yes. Well, I mean, oh my God, so many races. Last week, we had Turning and Runfart, the Tour Feminine and Limousin, the mm. Cascade Classic in America, and the European Junior and Under-23 Championships. Yeah, so um, yeah. not much was going on at all. Um, not much was going on. Um, so Limousin, we caught up with the first... Oh, sorry. You're going with Limousin so first, yep. If we just get Limousin out of the way, that's a French race. It, it's really a lower level. It's interesting. One of the things I was looking at on the cal- calendar was the differences between what races are like, you know, what, what races' ranks are and what they're like. Mm. And, um, yeah, so beca- because women's races have three ranks, um, well, four ranks, really. At the top, you have the 2.HC category, which was introduced this year and has been a complete failure because only one of the races that started with an HC category has actually, you know, carried on with it. Mm. Um, and some yeah. of them have disappeared completely. So uh, H- HC's turned out to be like um, getting the, the black spot if you're on a pirate ship, like you're just marked for death. So, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Or being a red shirt on Star Trek, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> then you've got 2.1 and 2.2, and then you've got national level races. Now, to be uh, UCI classified, you have to do things, various hoops you have to jump through. There's rules about which teams you can invite and how much you have to pay for accommodation and stuff like that. Mm. But mm. as far as I can see, there isn't actually prestige that goes with it. Um, but- uh, yeah, now that's one of the weird things... Um, that I noticed too, like in a separate thing, because I was I was reading up on this, um, what it takes to actually become a, a UCI race um, recently, and it is weird because I could not find. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, by the way, because the UCI website is a fucking nightmare to that. Na- find your way around and so it's entirely possible that it does exist and i just wasn't able to find the right corner of the right sub basement uh where that actual information is held but i couldn't find any information about what you get from the uci for registering your race with them you know there's lots of detail on how much it costs and what you have to do but there's nothing about what you get from it yeah, I mean, I guess the idea is that more team, better teams are going to want to race a 2.1 race than to race a 2.2 race. But as I was saying in my post, um, um, in the day races, you've got the World Championships, the World Cups, 1.1, 1.2, and national races. Mm. And, for example, Omelette Het Neusblatt is a 1.2 race. Right. And the Drenser Acht is a 1.2 race. But... OHN, it's one of the first races in the season. Everyone knows it. It's the same course as the men. This is one of the races that people want. You put it on your Palmares. Cycling fans in general will recognise that, what that means. Yep. So, you know, that means a hell of a lot more than, you know, the, the, than the Grand Prix de Wet, where do you call it? You know, it's Which, kind that, of, that's it, actually the name of a race, the Grand Prix de Wet, you call it. <laughs> and then the Drenta Act is. Uh, but, but, but basically, there were three races alongside three races: the Drenthe Act, the, mm. the Rotterdam van Drenthe World Cup, and the Norvelon Euro Cup. And they, which they're all probably called Bowls this year, because you know that's how it's gone. Um, Bowls is a great Dutch sponsor who's sponsored everything. Sorry, that was a little bit of a weird aside. Um, but you know, it's like the Drenthe, really the Norvelon Euro Cup and the Drenthe Act could have no UCI classification, and people would turn up. Because they're on either side of the Roger Van Drenthe World Cup. They're on the same kind of roads and everyone's there. Yeah, yeah. And you're already there for the, for the big race. So, you know, yeah, of yeah, course yeah. you are. So, yeah. And I think that's one thing. I mean, I, I know we're skipping ahead a little bit, but I think we'll find, you know, that's, that's interesting when we get to things like the American racing scene. Um, yeah. So, it, yeah, it, craziness. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, this is this is what Vlanderen um, Vlanderen said because I was saying that it's very interesting. There are no UCI registered races, um, stage races at all in Australasia, Africa, and North America. Mm, mm. Um, there's I think there's three day races in North America, uh, three day races in North, UCI registered day races in North America, um, none in Australasia, none in Africa, but. As we keep telling people, the USA has a really thriving racing scene. Yeah. And one of the reasons that they don't go for UCI classification is the UCI has a um, has rules about how many crit stages you can have in a stage race. Yep. Yep. And the American races are very crit heavy. So Cascade, which we'll talk about later, has two time trials, two mountain stages, and two crits. Well, they call it one crit and one circuit race, but it's basically two crits. Yep. And a lot of their races have crits. And that's because they're cheaper to put on. They're a hell of a lot of fun for the spectators. Mm. They're shorter. They're easier. It's just it, it kind of makes sense. And you know, well, if and, I was, if and to be fair, to Americans are really good at them too. Like like in terms of setting them up as races and making them events. You know, like mm. you know, they really do do it well. So yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. Yeah. And they have really, and they get really interesting stuff all around the edges of the crit. So you know, so you can have um, children's races on the same course, and you know yeah. this and that and the other. Mm. So you know, and you think, well, actually, for the USA races, to to get UCI status, they'd have to pay a big bag of money. Yep. They'd have to invite a load of teams. That means they'd have less USA teams there. Mm. Mm. And also, there'd be expectations then about putting those teams up in hotels and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas, because yeah. one of the other big factors logistically for the USA scene is that there's a lot of homestay organization, which, yeah. um, you know, I, I remember distinctly last year, Bridie O'Donnell, um, who was racing in the US, saying it was actually one of her favorite things because it was so different, you know, but it was really cool actually staying with, you know, very kind and generous people. But yeah. meeting people all over the country and, and you know, getting them. Uh, you know, they'd show her around the town and stuff, and yeah, and, and you know, she really enjoyed it as a as a key part of the whole experience. And um, you know, to the point that she actually wrote a blog of from memory at one stage, saying that it's something that she'd love to see more of in the rest of the world. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, you have to wonder why would the you know what 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 advantage is there? Yeah, well, what's the incentive to them, particularly when you know they're also their domestic scene? And I'm not I'm, this isn't a criticism at all. It's it's just an acknowledgement of of where it's at. Their domestic scene's very healthy and very strong, and doesn't really need to rely on bringing back the the. Um, apparent, you know, like the appearance of, of attracting the top teams from Europe back to the US to race their races. They don't need that, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. I, I'm not suggesting for a second that they wouldn't appreciate that if they got it, um, but, you know, they don't need that. And so... No, but it, I think also, I mean, there is a big there is a big gap. There is a big quality gap in the between USA cycling and European cycling. You know, Philly mm. Classic... Today was the, this year was the first time the Philly Classic had been won by an American, because you know, and that's why that's why the top American talent head to Europe, and that's not you know that's not criticism, but in a way, why? What's the incentive for them for uh, for attracting international teams to come over and just win everything? Yeah, yeah. Well, America, America's differently patriotic, I think, 
in than ways than you know than I mean I guess it's Italy Italy loves it when Italian riders win their races but they don't you know but it's not the same but it's not the same thing <laughs> well I, I I mean I think that's probably one of those things of geography where like in particularly in Europe you know you you're surrounded by a multitude of other countries and so you're more used to that whereas you know America is the same size roughly speaking as as Western Europe and it's America so um, yeah. you know so I I think that does impact but also. You know, I, I think the other side of it is that if you're running a team, I mean, we know that, that women's cycling in general, even at the, you know, air quote, top professional levels, there's a, there's a shortage of money, you know. And yeah. so if they're suddenly expected to fly a competitive team back to the US, you know, they're going to want it to be for more than just one race, you know. And yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. so then they start having to look at things like, well, do we keep a, a sort of development squad in the US to race these races? And what do we do with them for the rest of the year? Yeah. And, you know, and yeah. all sorts of stuff like that. So I can certainly see why. And I'm not I'm not suggesting it's right or wrong or anything like that, because I don't think you can apply that sort of judgment to these situations. But I think it's it's really instructive. Um, and, and it's the kind of thing that, God, I hope if there's anybody at the UCI <laughs> who actually looks at this stuff that they are. Because <laughs> there's so much that they could learn and and start to understand. Because I think for them, the big challenge is to demonstrate to anybody where's their value and ability. Because you know, the only thing I can see is that they have a real opportunity to come in and get alongside these race organisers and say, well, we can help build and grow this into a, a really, really big multinational thing. If if that's where you want to go, yeah, 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 you or, know? or maybe. Or what I'm, I mean, I'm thinking, the more I think about this, I'm going to have to do another post. But then I think someone asked me I should have done an executive summary of it. And I think I'm going to do a a, a kind of, you know, executive summary post at the end, make it mm. into a mini series. Because one of the things is, well, maybe they should be introducing a new category that enables you, that it's not national and it's not, that, and it's not. UCI ranked, but it recognises that the, um, the, 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 the races are, that the races with crits. Mm. You know, and the ED and, category and, 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 and international races can 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 help because you know if we are about globalization, because one of the things is is while we've got roughly the same number of race days as than we used to have um, in the ca- in the calendar, the new races there's the you know the new races that we've had in the last oh since 2011 let's say well we've got one in Costa Rica this is stage races one in Costa Rica El Salvador one in the Netherlands great mm. uh, Thailand Luxembourg. China, Zhushan Island, uh, the ones that didn't that existed for only one year, the Tour of Free State in South Africa and the Exegy Tour. Um, do do do. What's that one? Oh, the Lotto Bellasol Tour and one in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Now, while it's fantastic that we've got races, and I am completely, completely behind having races. You know, having races all over the world, so that if you're a yeah. South American rider, you can get UCI points, mm. and you can get the attention of the international scene, and you, you don't have to move to Europe. Yep. On the other hand, those new races that we've got the Lotto Tour and the Energy Watch Tour are the only ones that actually help the European peloton, yep. unless they raise a huge ton of money mm. to get to Costa Rica, Brazil, yeah. Thailand, China, etc. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that, that was particularly... Um, I'm not even sure what the right word is. Uh, you know, distressing might be a little bit strong, but was very sad for me was sort of seeing that, in essence, 
you know, we've, we've lost the two races in Australia and New Zealand that our part of the world had. And essentially, I mean, it wasn't an exact swap, but they've basically, yeah, but they've basically been replaced with, you know, races in China, which is great. It's great for China, but it's not the same thing. You know, yeah. getting getting from, you know, like a, a rider in New Zealand, for example, can get to Australia in, in three hours. It's not, you know, like that's not necessarily an unreasonable thing, um, yeah, yeah, particularly yeah. For, for this part of the world. We're used to that sort of travel. But, you know, going to China is a whole different ball game, and, and it's more expense and it's more difficult, it's more logistically difficult. But the other thing is, um, again, in terms of globalization, um, you know, Australia and New Zealand both have really strong relationships with small island nations in the Pacific. Um, just, you know, it's part of our world and these are our neighbours and we have strong ties through codes of football and other sports and things like that. And so the opportunity for the Oceania Federation to grow its sport is also, you know, impacted by the loss of these races. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I agree, absolutely. I think I think there's a couple of really interesting things that the UCI were willing to, could do, you know, like introduce something like a, um, you know, I was calling it uh, an ED category, like an, an elite development race, you know, where it's not, as you say, it's not the, the fully UCI-ranked race, but it's a race that's been earmarked as one that the UCI is going to partner with over X number of years and help develop yeah. and turn into, you know, yeah. something or, or whatever. But, you know, yeah. there's there's definitely a lot more that can be done there. I mean, and there's a hell of a lot more that can be done with the, the calendar in general, but um, I think the, the race classification and what that all means is, is definitely something that needs a hell of a lot more clarity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. And, and, you know, and 2.2, so Energy Wokutua is 2.2 category. Mm. And, you know, Energy Wokutua has the absolute top of the world racing it. You know what I mean? Yep. People, there's teams from, there's team, and teams from places like the USA, you know, come over there. And Tour of Limousin is 2.2 as well. Tour of Limousin is going against Turingen Rundfahrt, yeah, which is one of the riders' really favourite races to race. You know, it's, it's nonsense. It's nonsense yeah. that Energy Watt counts the same as Limousin. And equally, I've, I do have a little bit of an issue with some of the international races where you look at them and you go, well, yeah, look at the field. You know, mm. you might be a 2.1 race because you're in, um, you know, because, because you've, cause you've got the money to do it, you've got the investment to do it, but you're not, it's not the same. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all of that is a really, really long-winded, I said to Dan, we need to keep this one really snappy and look at me. <laughs> exactly. So, but but the a... point is, that, the point is, though, that there's a hell of a lot of information in there and it is very interesting and I really do reiterate and encourage everybody to to go read Sarah's post and, and look at these tables because, um, you know, there's there's quite likely little um, sort of relationships in there that we haven't spotted yet and and I think there is a lot that can be learned and, and you know, definitely, um, you know, then email it to all your friends at the UCI and, um, and tell them <laughs> about it. So, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, limousine. Look out for part two. Look out for part two, which will have more tables, and part three, which will executively summarise it. And if you've got any comments or any things that you want to add in, then please add it in uh, either through Podium Cafe or through our blog here at prowomenscycling.com or email us at prowomenscycling at gmail.com or I'm on Twitter at underscore pigeons underscore or Dan is now Dan W Official on Twitter. Mm, I'm official. I'm official. Yep, yep. I, I had to take it before someone else tried to be the official me. 
<laughs> anyway, Limousin. Yes. It was won by Tarjana Pawlowska, Polish rider for GSD Gestion. Four stages. Um, Oksana Kozonchuk won the first one. Tatiana Antoshina um, won the second. And Pawlowska basically crushed the hell out of stage three and four. You know, stage three and four. Won it. That was Limousin. Um, at the same time as Turingen, we spoke yeah. a little bit about Turingen. Yeah, we last got through, I think it was the first three, maybe four stages when we spoke last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've done the first three stages. Um, it's a race in East Germany. It's run by an ex-cyclist. So it's one of Ryder's absolutely favourite races to ride. Now, Turingen. So after stage three, Emma Johansson was leading and mm. it looked like it might be a Johansson versus Van Vlerten um, competition. Showdown, yeah. Then we had stage four, the ITT. Uh, it was technical. I think they went into a headwind. They had a tailwind behind them. And in general, you say with like, women's ITTs that it's going to be won by Ellen Van Dyke. That is kind of... It's like if you put Tony Martin into an, an ITT and you're just like, oh, yeah. So it's Tony Martin versus everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, or, 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 or Fabian or whatever. Yeah. But not this time because hello, Shara Gillo. Hello, Shara. Hello, Shara. How's it going? Yes. Um, she won the ITT. Uh, I'm really happy. Shara came third on GC in Turingen when I went there in 2010. I can't believe <laughs> I left it that long to say. I know. It, it took you, like, normally that's the first thing. That's how you explain the race is it's one that you've been to. <laughs> um, are, you claiming, are you claiming credit for Shara's win? No, sadly, I don't have any reason to claim credit for Shara's win. But I am remembering Shara fondly because in the hotel, they put you all up, every, all the teams in the same hotel, and they put you on floors and in the dining rooms according to your team's status. So you're and not, not, not going to claim a, a degrees of separation victory, though, you know, because of all of the Q&A that you had with, um, with Orica AIS? Um, well, I, I, I guess maybe, well, I mean, you can give it to me, but I was just thinking that... I remember because this because the, the the hotel had internet that could not cope with the entire women's peloton. <laughs> All trying to log on at the same time. Yeah, yes. yeah. This is 2011, so you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember. I remember getting up early because I to try and upload my photos, and there would be Shara um, sitting on the sofa on the top floor because she's riding for the Australian national team. So we were on the kind of smallest team top floor, and there was Shara. Um, chatting to her family back in um, Queensland. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shara won 35 seconds ahead of Ellen Van Dyke. I am wondering if this is the first time Ellen's been beaten this year in a time trial. No, Emma Johansson beat her in, in Beera, but that was because it was uphill. Yeah, see, does it, does it count if it's an uphill time trial? No, I don't <laughs> think so. Then, Emma Johansson in third. So, mm. stage five um, ended up with um, attacks, attacks, attacks. I, you know, there was there was a really funny thing because Steve Sargent, who's one of the uh, high-tech DSers, was updating things and uh, Richie Steeg um, on Twitter. But there was also a really fantastic race... Um, ticker. Ticker. But anyway, on, on stage five, it was attack, 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 attack. Lots of little attacks in groups. Um, Emma Johansson won with Lucinda Brand in second and Valle Scandalara in the third. Um, and the, out of a group of 17 and it was all attacks all the time and then stage 6 I can't remember if it was Steve or Richie basically said yeah so many attacks I can't follow them you may as well just look at my Twitter from yesterday <laughs> <laughs> 
So stage five had been attacked. Stage six was attacked literally from the start. Um, it had the Stylin Ward. Well, see, because meters... I'd heard the general complaint that, you know, the riders were just not attacking enough, clearly. So... <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. I love it. I, I one day I want to. I, that's, I want to, that's actually probably why I think we've uncovered the secret of why women's races aren't broadcast live very often. They're just literally not enough cameras to cover all the attacks. You know so. what my dream would be would be to either be at a race and updating, you know, with the race radio next to me and updating the live ticker, you know, with the uh, via the race through race radio, or to be commentating it on TV or radio and just like. Just like see how hard it would be. <laughs> By the time you'd like, I, when when I went to when I've been to races, I've I've put all riders' names into my all the riders I can think of names into my phone, so it's on auto, so that you can get it like attack Scandalara or something, and yeah, but it's still like you yeah whatever. <laughs> By the time it's all changed. Anyway, stage six. So stage five was attacky. Stage six. I was really happy about this because. Um, Vale Scandalara, she's one of my favourite, favourite riders. Um, Which puts she, her in the top 200, so... <laughs> she's one of those riders who just attacks all the time, and I think she attacks every day in the Giro, and she said, I, I did some Q&As with her before and after the Giro, because she's very friendly as well, and, um, and she said that sometimes her teammates tell her she attacks too much, and her nickname's <laughs> Crazy Horse. <laughs> That's an awesome nickname. I love that. Oh, brilliant nickname. Uh, anyway, I've been talking to her on Twitter about her Giro because I just I was so excited by it. She's going, yeah, yeah. Because I say, were you in attacks every day? And she's like, yeah, but I wish I'd been actually attacking at the front at the finish line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this time, stage six, she was. Well, there you go. See, eventually, and this is, you know, this is this is a bit of wisdom from old Uncle Jens Vogt. You know, kids, is that uh, you're not going to win if you don't attack. So always attack. You know, always attack. And mm. so yeah, Valet won um, solo with um, Lucinda Brand, another endless attacker, and Adrie Bissa in third out of the group. Um, there's a group about thirty ish who actually caught her on the finish line. And I know I'm showing off a lot about going to this race, but that's these stages because I've been to them. And um, the one in Altenburg, it's a beautiful. Oh, beautiful giant square with about four different kinds of cobbles on the square. They're really kind of vicious little slaty cobbles, so they're grey slaty. And the race comes plunging down from a road. It comes down into this really tight corner. Then it turns a right angle down a cobbled narrow lane. But you're like, holy shit, how can they actually ride around that, especially racing? And they come plunging over the, over the, 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 the courtyard. And... Oh, so it is it day. is it is it true, Sarah, that they actually sacrifice uh, an under nineteen year old virgin before the race begins to appease the cycling gods and keep the rest of them <laughs> safe on that finish? Is that, or is that just internet rumor? I think that's internet rumor, but I do think okay. they might sacrifice a cycling fan, Dan. So. <laughs> uh, well, believe it or not, I'm not a virgin, so. <laughs> on the internet sorry i'll shut up now um, <laughs> so Bale won i'm so so happy for her this is probably her biggest um stage win she didn't race this is her first time at turingen because she was sick at the second time of last season and you know the season before she'd been 
focusing on the under 23s, the European under 23 championship. So really happy. Everyone should follow Valet's Twitter because she's just lovely, really happy, exciting, loves the sport, passionate. Yeah, follow Valentina. She's brilliant. Everyone should be a ballet fan. And uh, stage seven, it was another attack. Tatiana Goderzo, Valet's teammate, won with Lisa Brunella and Anna van der Breggen. Now, there had been horrible crashes in stage six, and one of them had been um, Annemiek van Vleuten. Um, I think she crashed on stage seven again. Ouch. Yeah. Stage seven included this mountain, this famous local mountain, which is called the Hankerberg, because Hanker Kupfernagel, who is like, I mean, Hanker Kupfernagel just has the most amazing story. She's the reason that there is women's cyclocross. She's Mariana. She's basically the pre-Mariana, Mariana Voss. She won on the road, on the track, on the ITT. She's on the cyclocross. She's on mountain bike. And Hanker basically spent a lot of time um, in her early part of the career fighting with the UCI to enable women to be able to A, ride cyclocross, B, ride cyclocross World Cups, C, get paid for it, etc., etc. And, you know, so when we come to talk about the petition, mm. there is a really big history of women's cyclist activism. Yep. Yeah. Well, there so, has to be. But yes, we'll talk about that further down the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yes, yeah, so Hanker, so that Hanker, the Hankerberg, Hanker's very, very, very local and the Hankerberg is named after her. So she was attacking on every lap. Very crowd favourite. Mm-hmm. So the final GC, Emma in first. Her teammate, Shara Gillow in second. It was pretty much an Orica walkover because Spratty came sixth. Hey! I'm still mad hey, at you, Spratty. Spratty. I'm still mad and at you. And that Spratty came sixth after working her backside off for I'm, Emma. Well, you know, that's nice and all. Still, still mad at you, Spratty. Still mad. Dan is mad at Spratty because she admitted that she, in the morning she does drink instant coffee. Like, how can you call it, like, just, like, no coffee would be better than, anyway. What Dan should be doing, Dan's going about this the wrong way, because instead, because Dan is basically um, maligning poor Amanda Spratt at every opportunity, when what he should be doing is starting a Kickstarter to buy Spratty a proper coffee machine that's so easy that all she has to do is get up in the morning and press the button, and it'll make it happen. That's what Daniel should be doing. Why? What what's in it for me? Uh, that sounds like a lot less fun. Well, it, it it's bothering you that she drinks instant. Yes, a lot, like a lot. Um. Anyway, it was quite a young. It was quite an interesting top ten. So you had Emma, Shara, Lisa Brunauer of Specialized Lululemon, the young German rider, brilliant. I really like Lisa. Um, Anna van der Breggen in fourth. Um, in fifth, Linda Willemsen. Um, Linda rides wow. for. Wiggle Honda, mm. and this is her only her second race of the season. Yeah, like well, she basically took the year off to focus on um, the time trial world championships. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know why she took. The, she basically took the start of this. She took the seat. She retired from Orica last year, saying that she wasn't going to race this year, and she just come back and ride for New Zealand mm. um, in the ITT. And then she mysteriously signed to Wiggle. Yeah, interesting. Mm. So, um, anyway, Linda in fifth, Spratty, Lucinda Brand in seventh. I really like Lucinda. Uh, New Zealand young girl, Georgia Williams in eighth, hurrah. Um, Hanker in ninth, and Roxanne and Aterman in tenth. Cool. Now, the other thing I just wanted to mention was on stage seven, they went past the memorial to Amy Gillett. Um, mm. Amy Gillett was an Australian cyclist who tragically died in this, died in Turingen. Um, Eight years ago. Eight years. She they yeah. 
she, um, Amy, the whole of the Australian team were out trading and they got hit by a truck. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and it's the first time the race has passed since 2007. And in 2007, CJ Farkerson, who runs womenscycling.net and does most of the photography for the whole of the women's peloton, um, was hit by a truck in, in had a car accident in the same place. And one of the things that kind of was a blight on this race was uh, a young Belgian rider, da- Daisy Deporter, was training for the ITT and she got hit by a truck and nearly died. And it's like, shit, this is just too much. Mm. Um I think we've talked about the Amy Gillett Foundation before. Fantastic. We? we have. Fantastic foundation. It, it's a foundation that was established after the accident which took Amy's life. Um, you know, obviously named for her. They're um, an awareness and activist uh, organization in Australia uh, focused very, very, very firmly on promoting um, cyclist safety and better awareness and interaction between cyclists and motorists in Australia. They have two big campaigns going here, the first of which, and the most important of which, is A Meter Matters, which is an awareness campaign uh, that that aims to get drivers to understand that they need to pass with at least a metre when they're passing cyclists. Um, And then they also have a secondary campaign that's geared around that sort of awareness of, you know... um, cyclists are people too and and stuff like that uh they do great work they're uh, yeah and mm. what i like about them is they is they don't just seem to work at set, uh, they don't it's not like they're berating motorists at all no it's like they're, they're working with everyone and they're working with mm. cyclists as well to yeah. tell cyclists so one how. one part of their campaign is is you know cyclists don't go through red lights don't be basically don't be a dick you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and and you know yeah, yeah. And they the other and they do all sorts of things. So they do that, but they also fund research mm. into um, into road safety. But they also they have a, a scholarship, basically for um, for a rider. Yeah, yeah. So. And so every year, an Aussie rider is given an Amy Gillett scholarship, where they um, where they where they where they fund her to be able to basically race full time, and they'll fund her to. She'll she'll be racing with the AIS, the Australian Institute of Sport team, and she'll get to come to Europe. And you know, and this, as we've said before, means a hell of a lot of a diff- makes a hell of a lot more of a difference when you're talking about coming from Aussie mm. to Britain. Yeah, you know, yep. than it does than it, than it would do to, for example, sort of to Aussie to Europe than it would do, for example, coming from Britain to Europe. Mm. So mm. they're an amazing. I mean, and. Tracy Gordry, who we'll come on to later, is the current CEO. They do great work. Um, yep. Have a look at them. Even if you're not, if you're an Australian, if you're in Aussie, please support them. If you're not in Australia, still have a look at them because they do some really fantastic work. And you yeah. know, I think if you're interested in cycling that. advocacy at all, or or changing cycling culture and interaction and all of that sort of thing, I would highly recommend them as a as a resource and a starting point to to look at the kinds of things that they've done that are have been effective and, and work and i'm sure that there's certainly um people that you could contact from their official information to to yeah. get more assistance in that area if that's something that you're interested in too but yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely yeah. in in a few short years that's become uh, a very much recognized and known name in australia as part of our our cycling and sporting communities but also because of the the advocacy that work that they do uh, mm. And it and it is working, you know. Um, 
we've had legislative changes in in several of our states um, in no small part due to their advocacy um, you know making the the meter passing law and um, and raising awareness about laws that already exist and stuff like that so yeah love yes. love the Amy Gillett Foundation yeah and I mean so I think uh, so the race was so this was the first time the race has passed Amy Gillett's memorial and I think the race chose the peloton chose to neutralize the race until that point until it passed because there's a lot of emotion within the you know there's a lot of there's there's a lot of emotion not just yeah. in the Australian riders but in all the riders you know I think they, well, they look at it yeah there's still a lot of riders who who rode with Amy um or yeah. and, and if they didn't ride with her knew her um, you know, it's it's still very fresh and, and yeah. yeah. And even and even if even if people didn't ride with her, they there's that there's that everyone knows that just training on the roads is dangerous. I mean, remember when mm. Emma Johansson broke both her collarbones last yep. year, at the beginning of last year's season, getting hit by a car out training. We are continue almost cyclists getting hit by car out training, like like poor Daisy, Daisy Deporter mm. is. It's just it passes, and we almost don't pay attention anymore. Well, I'm you know it's just because I've become I've become um, desensitised to it. Oh, anyway, so that was Turingen Emma won. Uh, Yay, beer, Emma! I'm very happy. Pictures, pictures of as we said before, this one's sponsored by um, brewery, so mm. uh, lots of beer on the podium, lots of lovely things. Um, I really recommend it if you. Only go to one European race in the future, people. Go to Turingen. You'll have an amazing time. Um, whew, in America, it's the Cascade Classic. Um, two TTs, two mountain stages, two crits. Um, Alison Powers won both the ITTs. She's so good. Um, Claudia Hauschler, who's... Come on, shouldn't I? No, 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 come on. Look, even though I heartily say all the time that puns are wrong and always wrong, you can't let that one go past, Sarah. You've got to do a powers overpowered the competition or something like that, you know. Uh, Powers overpowered the competition with her powerful... Oh, good. For God's sake, Sarah, puns are always wrong. Fuck. Can we just move on? Uh, Claudia Hauschler <laughs> won one of the mountain stages. Uh, Lauren Stevens, stage three. Uh, nope, yes, Lauren Stevens, stage three. Lauren Hall, stage four. Amanda Miller on stage five. I've got a real soft spot for Amanda Miller. She's a, a young American rider. She's been having loads of injuries, and but she's great. She's really friendly and lovely. And Krista McGrath won stage six. Oh, that's seven stages in total. And the overall GC was McGrath of Exergy, Hauschler of Tibgo, and Mara Abbott of Exergy in third place on GC. Nice. And that was the final race in the American Women's Prestige Series. This is a series that's only for women's races. And the overall winner was Claudia Hauschler (gasps) with her teammate Joanne Kiesanowski winning another jersey i'm guessing sprints i haven't written this down and tipco won the series denise ramson won the best young rider awesome awesome now that was happy racing news happy racing news i'm guessing from your tone of voice and the fact that by saying happy racing news we're leading into less than happy racing news that must mean it's time to talk about the european championships it is and what a, this time last week, I was saying, yay, yay, the European Championships, one of the best races in the world. Yay, yay. Um, in Europe, uh, other continent, other, other, other re- UCI regions have championships that are open to everyone, like the um, uh, Oceania one, mm. your neck of the woods, and Pan, Pan American one. Um, in Europe, they're only for 
Well, on the men's side, they have the European under-23s, where it's only for riders who aren't on pro teams and juniors. On the women's side, it's under-23s and juniors. Uh, they don't have any distinction because, um, you know, riders... Says some hilarious and terrible things about the classification of professional in women's cycling. I know exactly, exactly. And yeah. um, I mean, I guess in a strange sort of way, you know, some some riders, some riders decide, some riders and teams decide actually we're going to ride in Twillingen instead. Um, and it's a weird one because the winner of the road race automatically gets an extra spot at World Championships. Cool. So you often see the Dutch and the Italian national team going out super hard for the Euros because, you know, it gets them an extra rider. Yeah. And um, last year, I, you know, last year it was, um, oh, I can't remember, I've lost the plot. But you know, in the past... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to pause and congratulate you on having held the plot for this long. <laughs> I know, but you know, I I, I want to say Elisa Longo Borghini, but that's not right. Anyway, yes. Um, so it was the. I, I'm really excited by this race because they're usually good places to spot riders, and you know, um, and then so yeah, we had the junior road race, uh, which was. And it, and, it, and it also says a lot about how teams are developing. And I need to insert a rant here. And I'm sorry, I do this every year. Same rant. Britain decides not to send any women at all. Yay, Britain. Yay, British cycling. This is a traditional thing. Now, now hang send... on. How, how closely involved is, you know, for example, the, uh, the man campaigning to become the head of the UCI, Brian Cookson, in this sort of decision-making? Well, you mean Brian Cookson, who's the head of British Cycling? Yeah, that's the one. The one who, you know, his organisation is responsible for building and strengthening and supporting and growing and sustaining women's cycling in the UK. Yeah. Um, and would probably, you know, theoretically at least, want to give his riders the opportunity to compete, you know, with their peers on the, the continent, you know? Well, especially since they send the boys, because they sent seven boys Seven oh, young men holy fuck. Wow, so, wow. And this is, happens every time. And mm. so, But this is the is, same Brian Cookson who loves women's cycling way more than Pat McQuaid loves women's cycling. And they're both yeah. in a I love women's cycling more than you competition. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so he loves it so much that he can't bear to let the women leave the island. Yeah, well, you know what's very interesting about it? Because I was talking to Stefan Wyman, who, as you know, is mm. the... Um, is the DS of, of Matrix Fitness. And he said he's tried to find out from British Cycling what the under-20, what the qualification is, because he's got a development team that's stuffed full of junior and uh, under-23 riders. Now, they may not win, but holy shit, it's great development. Well, and he's, uh, and I mean, he's fucking good at it. I mean, I know I'm massively biased in favour of Steph anyway, because he's my man crush, registered and everything, but... You know, the, when you look at the riders that have have participated in in his team over the years and and developed and come up, I mean, it's it's a fucking impressive list. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. he's great. He's, he's great at what he, he does. Said, mm. He said he's tried to find out. There aren't even um, there aren't even. It's not even like there's a set of criteria, and no one's met the criteria to go. And he said because it's British cycling, he said that he'd actually pay for his riders to go. Yep. And but he but he can't because it's got to be through British Cycling. So yes, um, every year I have this rant. Every year I'm surprised that it's happened again, and it pisses me the hell off because you know when you look at our so 
Lucy Garner, for example, um, won the Junior Road World Championships twice in a year, year, year row. Eleanor Barker won the is the World Junior ITT champion. Yeah. Yep. Are they there in Euros? No, they're not. Um, okay then. What about Amy Hill, who won the who won the Junior um, Junior Junior Energy Watch Tour? You know, we had in Energy Watch Tour we had a British team, Junior team, and a Welsh Junior team. Surely some of those riders are good enough to race in the Euros. I mean, oh God! And it's just what it says. It's just it's it's it. There might be some really good good arguments in favour of why they do this, but they haven't ever explained them. Well, this is the thing that really, 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 really pisses me off. Is yeah, yeah, like you know. I think it's. I think we're taking a pretty reasonable position when we're when we're actually allowing. Maybe there really is a legitimate reason. I mean, I feel like we're being pretty fucking generous in the face of this sort of behaviour to actually allow. Maybe there really is a reason. But the least you can do when you're the the organising body who's responsible and you're just going to leave out an entire gender, is yeah. fucking say why. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's and part of the part of the reason is they 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 support four British Cycling support four women on the road, Eleanor Barker, Danny King, um, Laura Trotz, and Joanna Rousel, mm-hmm. yeah, the, who are the four women, and they support them because they are the team pursuit team. Now the Euros on the road is the week after the Euros on the track, right? And they basically um, riders in the past to qualify for track world championships. You did it by nation, yeah. So what countries like British Cycling would do would be to send riders over to send their second string riders over to some of the world, you know, to some of the second string World Cups, and that would build points up. And then Chris Hoy would only rock up for his minimum possible amounts of races, or big penalty, <laughs> you know, Manchester, Australia, and Worlds. And they've changed this. So, you know, so I can kind of understand why, um, you know, they might be, have a focus for Eleanor and Laura on the track. However, the problem isn't that. The problem is that they're only supporting four young women. Yeah. And they're the trackies. Well, and... and well, I, I know that there is more... Anyway. anyway, I, anyway, I, anyway. I, yeah, I, I think we both it's think that. there are much more problems than just that but i take your point yeah that is part one of why i'm cross with the euros that yeah i know this we haven't even got to the bad stuff yet (laughs) so when it came to the Euros, the first race was the under 23 um road race the first race on the block um so the first race for the women under 23 itt and I'd said before who I think is going to be good. You know, watch out for Rosella Ratto. She's really, you know, she's she's super strong. And Audubianic from France, she's great. And all the high-tech riders like Thea Thornton and Miriam Bjornstrad. Um, and I'd said that there is a slightly controversial rider on the start list. Mm. And that's Hannah Solovey. Yeah, so she... Um was a, a young rider who basically got popped for a, a doping infraction and suspended when she was super, super young, though. Yeah. Hannah uh, Solovey, she was the junior world ITT champion in 2009 and 2010. She came fourth in the road race, um, a junior road race in 2010, behind Pauline Ferranda Provo and Rossella Ratto, amongst others. And um, she won all the ITTs and stuff. And then she got popped at age 19 for drostanolone, which is a steroid. Okay. But, so I she's mean, popped. 
but she was so ridiculously young that it's one of those, like, um, you've got to assume someone was was oh absolutely facilitating this behaviour surely. Absolutely, and when when you're a teenager and you're taking now, there's an interesting thing. I was talking about this with I think Ben Atkins, and he said the difference between steroids and EPO is that EPO can make a donkey into a workhorse, in, into into a thoroughbred. Yeah, mm. it's EPO is all about all, all but but what steroids do is they um, they make they basically build your muscle, and as long as you keep training, the muscle power is still there. Yep. Okay. So with EPO. With EPO, the results wear off, you know, after after time, and that's why people transfuse their EPO-ridden blood because you know EPO is not safe. So you transfuse your your EPO-affected blood, so you're not having the negative points and you're not getting caught for the actual blood doping. But yeah, the interesting thing about steroids is, as long as you keep training, you get the muscular, the changes in your musculature. Okay. Yep. Yep. And they have big impacts you know i mean there's all the jokes about east east german you know there's all the kind of sexist jokes about east german uh right you know, shot putters in the in the um in the, you know in the 80s who took too much so many steroids they started growing mustaches and stuff like that and and but actually steroids do change your whole physiognomy and i can't imagine at 18 you'd make an informed choice about it but, well, I mean, speaking as a former 18-year-old, and I admit I may not be the, the best possible uh, you know, sample group from which to draw this assertion, but speaking as a former 18-year-old, um, I'm pretty confident in saying that I didn't make any good decisions <laughs> at 18. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I think I think eighteen-year-olds have a lot of agency and stuff. But I don't believe you can make. You know, I don't. But you know, what are the chances of an eighteen-year-old sitting down and doing her research and deciding that this is the drug of choice versus some fucker giving it to her and go take this? It'll make you ride faster. Mm-hmm. And yes. so she's and 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 you know and you know and so she's an eighteen. She's not even so she's from the Ukraine. So there's not a big cycling um, culture there. Anyway, Solovey, it was her first race back, and over 22 kilometres, Solovey won, and she won by a minute and 35 over Rosella Ratto, uh, with Ksenia Dobrodina of Russia in 151 back, Audubianic 201, Mika Kroger 214, Fair Thornton 220. Yeah. I've got to say... Now, that's, that's really interesting, because... Um, you know, for a start, the time gaps between um, Solovey back to Rosella Ratto is very, I guess, unusual is the kindest way I can yes. say it. You know, and it's was, atypical was, for, for what you'd expect. Yeah. Hmm. And I look back over what her time gaps were before, and when Solovey won the World ITT in 2010, which was over 15 kilometres. She beat Ferrand Provo by um, five seconds, Amy Cure by 12, Laura Strott by t- 53, Susanna Zorzi by 1, 14. Um, when she won the Euros in 10, she was 36 seconds, over 13 kilometres, she was 36 seconds ahead of Ferrand Provo. You know, it's like, I don't... I mean, it's really difficult because... When women and continental riders get, when if you're a pro rider, you can't come back to the peloton until you've got drugs, until your drugs free. Yeah, they test, you know, they, they will do some tests on you. Um, 
before you can come back. I don't know if they do in, intermediate tests as well, but you know, you're still covered under the bio passport and all of that jazz. Yep. Women and Conti riders don't get tested in their in their office while they're while they're out in the van. So there's two things that could happen here. One thing is that actually Solovey was doped by mistake, it wasn't her fault. She's been training really hard ever since, but she's still benefiting from the steroid-induced muscles because she's carried on training. Right. The second thing is, if you were, and I'm not saying this is true, but if you were really cynical, you could think, well, what's to stop her doping all the way through her ban mm. and then coming back with her extra steroided muscles? And actually, you think, well, you know, maybe if I was an, if I was a cynical, if I was a cynical, nasty bastard, what I would do when I to my to my stable of young riders is I'd let them do really well as juniors, then I'd start steroiding the hell out of them as soon as they finished their, you know, as soon as they finished junior worlds, I'd probably steroid them over the holidays as well, you know, over the off season just because I'd be a bastard. If they got popped at age nineteen. I just keep on steroiding them and training them, and then they come back at 21 years old, and they're back in the game. Oh fuck! I don't even understand why you do it. I mean, it's not. This is the thing about doping and women's cycling is there's no much. She's not winning like a fortune for this. She's probably, if she's lucky, she's probably winning 150 euros, maybe a thousand. You know, it's like so depressed. And the good thing was, I was having a bit of a rant about this on Twitter mm. because I was a little bit cross and there were quite a few riders saying, especially young riders saying that's terrible and riders who hadn't known about it oh, right. because, because Solovey's it wasn't, it wasn't very big news when she got popped last year, I can't remember, you know, two right. years ago it just kind of flushed under the carpet, I think Monty spotted it and that's the only reason I knew about it mm. so mm. yeah, I mean it's on CQ and things like that but I don't think the other riders had known about this Okay. Yeah. Well, so and, it yeah, was, and it was, it was, and and watching the genuine anger from young riders who'd ridden against this, and seeing people absolutely furious about this, and mm. riders who were out there in the race being furious about this, it actually made me feel really good because, you know, they don't. It wasn't like when the boy, when men get popped. And people are like, you know, oh, well, you know, it wasn't like when David, you know, it, when riders are kind of hesitant to speak out against it. These girls are furious. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So um, when it came to the road race, it was quite interesting because I think I, I have a feeling that the peloton may have been anyone but Solovey. Um, and it was very interesting because uh, I think the Italians went completely bananas. They always do anyway. But it ended up with um, Susanna Zorzi winning ahead by a minute with Francesca Cowles who you might remember from the Giro um, winning the bunch sprint in second ahead of Solovey with Ratto in fourth and Dalia Mucchioli the Italian national champ in eighth I think the Italians were not going to have any of this thank you very much yeah um yeah (sighs) so sad Dan Anyway, in the year, in the juniors, very interesting actually, because I had been predicting Belgian and Italian and uh, Dutch dominance, especially given how the Dutch have gone, have how you know the junior stage races we've seen. Yep. The road rate, the the, the ITT was won by Severine Arode, who came second in the junior um, junior Trofeo Binder earlier. Binder earlier in the year with Flutia Mackay in second from Dutch and Olina Demidova of the Ukrainian third. 
And then the road race was also won by a French woman, Greta Richiod, with a road from France in second and Xenia Tuhai from Belarus in third. And another French girl, Marine Marie, in fourth. And yeah, I'm really interested in that. That's, yeah, the juniors are basically mopped the floor French style. Hey! But the big surprise for me was in the road race, the first Dutch woman was 21st. Really? Yeah. I, I, I don't know how to process this information. I, yeah. But, um, yeah. But, but, yeah. Uh, 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 my and head in hurts. 20, in the under 23s, in yeah. the road, in the ITT, Talita de Jong was the first one in the ITT in ninth place. Yep. So, is the question. Has Dutch development cycling got a problem, or is it that other people are catching up? Hmm, it's a good question, isn't it? I mean, I my I guess my immediate answer is you know requires more data. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like and there were, I mean, there were some under twenty three. I think Anna van der Breggen is still under twenty three, and you know, obviously she was in Turingen where she came fourth in the GC, hmm. and you know, she and her team have taken a decision that that's a better place for her to be. However, yeah, mm. interesting. So, and something, yeah. something definitely to be keeping an eye on. Wow. Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things about the French is that for years and years, they have not been very good at developing. I mean, for some reason, they're at the top of mountain bike, BMX, track sprints. You look at those and they're completely, you know, you'll always look in the top tens of World Cups and World Championships. There'll be a couple of French women in cross country, downhill, um, BMX, you know, and their sprint and their t- track sprinters are amazing, and they've got some good endurance sprinters. But for some reason, they just haven't had road that that read through for road. Mm. And I'm hoping that you know, with Ferran Provoke, well, I'm hoping that with the demise, demise racing wise, not actual demise of Jeannie Longo, maybe. Hopefully there's some kind of change. But, yeah, it's interesting because they always have a woman in the top ten in the world championships. They always do really, really well in the juniors. But is, is, are, these young, are these young women going to translate through and be, the, you know, be, be kind of the stars in ten years, you know, in ten years time, in, in five, ten years' time? Or will they just – will they fade? Will they disappear? Interesting, yeah. Uh, well – I, it's just as well you brought that up because now I have a reason to continue to pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah, uh, funny. Um, no, but I mean, it, it's it's one of those really interesting things, isn't it? Like when you follow a sport over time, and particularly because by its nature there's an international aspect to cycling, that um, you know th- these sorts of strengths and weaknesses and stuff sort of start to come out it's yeah and and patterns and i don't know times of of domination and whatever yeah and and things that aren't patterns at all like this is one of the other interesting things about looking well i had to start my my calendar post with a massive ton of caveats because sometimes losing races isn't a bad like bad thing yeah. So um, we lost a race called the Omloop Door Midad Kunsterland, which was a day race. 
And we lost it because it evolved into the Energy Waffle Tour, which has been growing and growing and growing and now has a, um, a huge women's stage race and a junior women's stage race. Uh-huh. You know, and and similarly, we lost the Novel and Eurocop Damas Ronda van Drenthe stage race, which finished in 2006. And that's become the World Cup Ronda van Drenthe, Drenthe Acht and Novel and Eurocup. It's, you know, there's, there's stuff where you can look at patterns, but stuff where you need to know what's going on behind it. Yeah. Yes. Mm. <sighs> so, what else this week, Daniel? Oh, dude, well... <laughs> Holy shit, you know, because the week needed more just to just to get us through. Um, well, we, we touched on it briefly earlier, but we didn't get into any details. But the uh, the petition for the petition to the ASO to allow female professional cyclists to race the Tour de France, uh, we've mentioned it previously. We don't need to recap that, but it has officially passed. Well, as of right now, I've just refreshed the page. Seventy six thousand two hundred and forty three signatories so far to the petition, which is excellent. Um, it has been growing at an amazing rate. I honestly think, uh, from memory, when we spoke last week, we were saying, yeah, it's at just over 40,000. So it's basically doubled in a week, which is ridiculous and amazing and great. Yeah. Yes. The and other thing seen- sort of related to it, oh, sorry, I think you were just about to say the same thing, is that uh, one of the things that I've noticed during the week is that there's been a whole heap of sort of ancillary discussion that's kicked off as a result of the petition existing. Yeah? Oh, I yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's not so much the discussion I was going to say, but I was going to talk about, like, Labour MP Harriet Harman, who's the deputy leader of the Labour Party, which is, you know, the second biggest political party in the UK. Um, Americans, if you're listening, it doesn't mean the same thing as what I think it means over there. Um, but yes, um, yes, we are socialist. Um, I know you know that. I know you know that. I'm just teasing. Um, But um, Harriet Harman wrote to the ASO as well. And it's been turning up on all sorts of different news sites about Mm. really, really getting some steam. And it makes me wonder, why the hell didn't I think of doing this two years ago? Well, it is. It's really, really interesting, and I guess this sort of relates to a couple of things that that I wanted to mention specifically related to the petition. Um, You know, first of which is, in addition to that, then you know, the news stories that were coming out last week were, you know, like Christian Prudhomme just dismissing it out of hand and and blah blah blah. To the ASO, you know, reports now coming out that the executive board of the ASO have met and said this is something that we need to consider and and figure out what we're going to do. And and then yeah, as you say, you know, uh, the British MP who, um, you know, is is challenging this idea and 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 getting behind it, which you know is very cool. And I think all of those things are great. One thing that I think is really really important, and I'm not suggesting that anyone's you know this has happened yet, but it's really easy to almost be tricked into a sense of oh cool, we've achieved what we set out to, job done. And and for for people to sort of ease up a bit on the pressure, um, when you know basically the inverse of that is is actually true. Like what we've done is we've got their attention now. That's you know it's like the very 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 first step. Um, and, yeah. and what happens next is it is so important right now to not just keep up the momentum, but to actually really step up the pressure, and um, yeah. and and you know really really make it absolutely clear that you know people are watching and paying attention and that the ASO is saying oh yes we're going to include it in our next meeting 
isn't good enough. What we want is clear action that comes out of that. What's the plan? What are you What are you going to do? What will you achieve by 2014? What happens in 2015? How does this work? You know, it, it it's only through you know really really doing that that um, that we will actually affect the change that that we're collectively asking for here. Yeah. So and and also to kind of push to see where this and I see this as like a this is this is like a ripple of other things. You know, it's interesting. As I said, Hanger Kupfernagel did this for cycle cyclocross in the in in the early days, and you know, mm. riders like Ina Teutenberg and Judith Arndt who've been fighting and fighting. You know, the riders who came out publicly against Pat McQuaid when he said a couple of years ago that women didn't deserve a minimum wage. Yep. All of these things drop in the water and have ripples that spread out and spread out and spread out, or little chaos butterflies flapping their wings. You mm. know what I mean? Chaos and, butterflies. And it's it's like. It's really important that this is a, it's not just one thing. Mm-hmm. And actually, I wouldn't be happy, you know, I, mean, I think that's the thing. Someone suggested that this is a terrible idea because, you know, it might make them think, oh, moany women, if we listen to them now, we're going to have to listen to them about other things. So let's just, so it's best just to ignore them. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's actually, sorry, it is one of those sort of comedic things is watching the, the people who, I actually honestly think half of these people don't realise that they come across as sexist idiots. Um, throwing up, you know, excuses or reasons why it just can't happen, um, yeah. or shouldn't happen. It, it, uh, some of it's just hilarious, and yeah, I did find that one. This this was someone who commented on a, a thing that Sarah had written, and it was just basically, oh yes, you know, whiny, moany, bitchy women getting what they want like they have for thousands of years. <laughs> it's just like, well, you know, still don't have pay equality, still don't have equal standing in you know this area in you know certain parts of the US can't even you know determine our own health services and stuff like that and so yeah if if thousands of years of being whiny moany bitchy women was working i think we'd have a slightly different world you know the other thing i thought was really funny was yeah stop being whiny bitchy wim- moany women because it gets you what you want <laughs> exactly exactly like there's no way this argument works because either either it hasn't been effective, and so you know it's demanding. Demanding equality is not really being whiny and bitchy anyway, or it's been highly effective, and so of course you're going to go with what works. Like it's just. It's just no, but uh, I do have a stupider argument against it than that. Oh, was this the one that um, that is best answered by the the Marine Devries blog? Yeah, Dim Space. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know Dim Space. He's a he's got a really good Twitter, and he runs Velo Rooms. He does loads and loads of stuff. Um, uh, I yeah, um, <laughs> he's great. Uh, mm. uh, but yeah, and he Dim basically Space. had someone suggest that um, that it would be impossible to run longer women's races because how on earth would they answer the call of nature? I mean, it's you know, I'm paraphrasing, but the person was like. Because obviously it's really easy for the guys because they just, you know, flop it out and it's done. You know, but what about these poor women? <laughs> it was, I, I died. I died at that. And and, and Dim got there, beheaded, behead, Dim, Dim and I were on exactly the same page because, yeah. of course, the thing that we did was link to Marine DeVries' amazing cartoon on how women pee. And I do have an apology to make to Marine because, as, as, as Antoine said, poor Marine, you're now, you've now dubbed her the Queen of Pee. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's actually it's really interesting. I actually remember when that was new, and um, one of my my good friends, um, who shall forever remain nameless, was so excited to to see that because she'd been trying to work out what to do for ages, and so she was like, "I can now go for long rides." <laughs> You know, not just in obscure parts of the country where no one's around to see. I know what to do. <laughs> yeah, if you've ever wondered how women pee when they're on their when they're when they're in bib shorts, and um, we'll put a link to our blog, prowomenscycling dot com. Um, and it also made me laugh because uh, the Giro in in the Giro this year, the women got stopped by by a train line, and it happened. Marine described this as previous in last year's Giro as well, or one of the last year's races, where basically when they're stopped by a train, the whole peloton just scrambles to the side of the road, and she just has this blog about little white bottoms winking in the air. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know. Maybe she is the queen of pee. Oh, well. Well, um, you know, she's the queen of honesty and, and practicality, I think. You know, that's that's what I'll uh, I'll dub her as. Um, but it, it is really interesting to me, um, related to, to all of this, is uh, some of the, the broader conversation that has, has now come up around the, the specific idea behind the petition, which is, of course, for women to race the Tour de France. Um, you know, including comments from from former pro and current SBS reporter Catherine Bates. Um, Gracie Elvin wrote a, a blog related to it as well. You know, offering uh, to varying degrees different viewpoints on yeah. how they think this will come out. And I noticed one of the things that was interesting to me is that it seems that these sort of different viewpoints have created a little bit of friction, which is something that I personally find a little confusing. I can't, yeah. I can't think of a better word for it because I don't think, you know, like, like any large and particularly multinational endeavor, you know, I mean, if you put three people in a room and ask them to do something, you're going to have a minimum of 4 billion opinions on how to do it. <laughs> it's just like, that's human nature. So, um, I, I, I did find that really interesting and I'm not sort of having a go at anybody. I just, it, it's very curious to me. Um, because one of the things that I really believe firmly about the state of women's cycling at the moment, and you know, this is something that we talked about last week, is that right now there are so many things in women's cycling that need assistance and action that you can start at pretty much any point. You can start at the race, you can start at the team, you can start at the rider, you can start at the federation, you can start at the UCI, and you can be in any one of these places and you can do something really, really good for the sport. And so when when one person's looking at starting in this particular place, just because someone else is looking at starting in a different place doesn't make either of them wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, the more discussion makes it more newsworthy. It, it does. And, and, you know, this is the other thing is that these are different outlets now all talking about the same basic idea and getting people yeah. thinking about it. And the other thing is, and this is something that I said for years about the, the introduction of a minimum wage, um, and one of my strongest arguments in favor of it was because the second that you you know as the uci go yep we're bringing in a minimum wage the conversation changes from well should we have one to how do we do it yeah 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 and, and how much that's is that's where the conversation this is the thing that probably makes me happier than anything else is that this is where the conversation about women racing the tour de france has moved into you know i mean we're not the whole way in there but we're now in the middle of that conversation where people are throwing up stupid bullshit arguments like girls can't go to the toilet outdoors you know <laughs> 
to, to people going, actually, they can. Let me show you how. Um, yeah. And and then so you know obviously that's not a valid reason not to do it so let's move on how will we do it and yeah, yeah, yeah. that's I, I, that's the conversation I want us to be having absolutely yeah and even people who disagree with it I mean yeah. I I love having and and it's it's interesting because I don't want to get I, I always try really hard not to sound heated about this because I am very heated about it because I really really believe in it but, oh, sorry are you saying that you're a passionate person with strong views on things I know. But like my friend Jens thinks that the way to start it isn't to go for a women's tour de France, but to go for a women's um, Paris tour or a women's uh, oh Dauphiné is the one that he was keen on, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Dauphiné or or, yeah. or or you know or or Paris Nice or something. Yeah. And that and I I'm like yeah yeah let's have it both. <laughs> well, the other thing is I don't I you don't make. I've worked. I've worked in public policy for ages, and you mm. don't make changes just by trying to do one thing, mm. and then trying to do another thing. You want to change the culture, yep. and all the conversations, all the arguments, all the conversations, all the disagreements—they all kind of contribute to cultural change around things. You know, Harriet Harman saying there should be a women's race, and it made me think: Why I didn't? I should have. I'm British. My taxpayers' money is is a huge amount of my taxpayers' money is going towards the ground depart in um, Yorkshire next year for yep. the tour. Yep, that is not going to benefit my air neck of the country at all. There's no benefit here, mm. and at the same time, it's a huge amount of money while we're cutting budgets all over the place. Yeah, the least we could do is have women's race in there. And actually, we're in Britain. We're supposed to be a country that believes in equality. My taxpayers' money, you know, it's not like they're only taking taxpayers' money off the men to fund this. <laughs> no, this is my, and this is my argument with British, about British cycling. People are like, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's members' money. No, no, no. Sport England, the, the lottery money. It's not like they say, oh, right, here's lottery money paid in by men. Yeah, yeah. That will go to British cycling to support British cycling. So, therefore, British cycling only needs to support men. Mm, mm. If they're sponsored by the lottery, if they're, if they're helped by the lottery, if they're helped by taxpayers, that's men and women. So why aren't you putting some of that money back into equal in, into equality? Even before you get into yep. ideas about debates about whether equality is necessary, yes, it is. Um, not well, a debate. Uh, well, it, exactly. It's not a debate, and this is also you know the appropriate and proper role for governmental organisations and and um, administrative bodies. This is exactly yeah. literally they're they're in place to make these decisions and set these standards and requirements. You know, it's yeah. part of why it's so fundamentally offensive to have the president of the UCI say women's cycling isn't at that point yet. It's his job to get it there. You know, yeah. it, to nurse yeah. it, to help it, to facilitate structures that 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 work for everybody, and that's why you know, like I, I take Jens's point, and I actually tend to agree with him from you know from my working background and and understanding of the logistical aspects of it. It it makes a hell of a lot of sense to take a, a shorter race like the Dauphiné or or Paris Nice or something like that and model a. a, a um, women's edition alongside it but at the end of the day the simple fact of the matter is that in men's or women's cycling there is one race that everybody in the world knows the name of and it's not the Dauphiné it's yeah, yeah, yeah. the Tour de France and so and is, when, you're, yeah. when, when your primary requirement for any action to take place is to get people aware of the issue of course you use the biggest bullhorn that you can find and you shout as loud as you can and you yeah. and you aim for the biggest thing that you can, you know, and yeah. and then you know you work from whatever happens as a result of that. But yes, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. this is where you start, and this is what you do. 
Yeah, and and this is my disagreement because I think Kate Bates and Gracie Eldon were saying that rather than start ambitiously, you should start small. And I kind of I kind of go from the other side. I kind of go from it from a negotiation tactic point of view, where you know if you ask for something small, people give you a reason why they can't do something small. Just just um, in case you're considering involving Sarah in your negotiations around women's cycling, please do understand that her first action will be to get the keys and the codes to all the nuclear weapons, and then she'll <laughs> then she'll start negotiating. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you might want to factor that in. She she is very much in favour of zero sum negotiations. <laughs> so not true. Well, <laughs> life, I'm actually very good at it. Anyway, moving on, to, moving on from the petition. Um, moving on from the petition. Uh, what else did we like this week? We'll just plough through these quite quickly. Look, the- Some things you should know about. Well, the other main thing that I wanted to touch on was one that we've already dug in deeply, which was which is your great article um, on the on the calendar and that sort of thing. Um, the other thing that I'm interested in, and I would appreciate, I'm going to do a post on our blog about it uh, sometime during the week. Uh, we had a comment from Craig who um, comments on on the site reasonably regularly uh, around the the petition and, and that sort of thing, and how he thought maybe it's time for an independent stakeholder survey sort of more geared around what the vision, collective vision for women's cycling might look like. And I actually think that's a genius idea. Um, and so it's something that I'm going to, to put a bit more thought into. And um, and I'll do a post sometime in the next week or so um, laying out a, a proposed methodology and that sort of thing. And I'd appreciate, you know, just feedback and, and any ideas that people have on, on how that may look and what that might you know, turn into because I think, I think you know, sort of touching on the the kind of what we were just discussing, where there are so many different viewpoints and different ways to tackle this thing. I think it would actually be really interesting to do a set of an anonymous surveys, but ask you know team managers and sponsors and riders and race organisers independently, separately, and anonymously their views on these things and, and help sort of understand what the issues are for each of these groups of people because, you know, we're all stakeholders. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm very interested by that idea. needs more work, but that's yeah. that's probably the other big one that I was was uh, thinking about during the, the last couple of days. Yeah, um, things we saw this week, we've probably talked about Latour Prologue, the Aussie Foxtel TV show, every week since it started. But well, I it's like not our fault that it's so good. I mean, that's kind of, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I really liked the um, interview with Tracy Gordry. Um, as we said earlier, she's the chief executive of the Amy Gillett, Gimmick, Amy Gillett Foundation. She's a former pro cyclist herself. And she's the UCI's representative for the Oceania region. Yes, um, and she's also year. Sarah's perpetual nomination for UCI president, uh, whether yes, she um, whether she wants to be or not. Well, so. no, no, to be fair... My first choice is Storm Aigler in, in his Storm Mariana Voss against her will. <laughs> or maybe Ina Teutenberg, Teutenberg. No, it, it's basically going to be Voss and Teutenberg. And, yeah. you know, Teutenberg's got a lot of time on her hands. So, we know how she'd do it. It fist of iron. Yes, one's the dictator and one's the enforcer. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. What can, oh. what can possibly Tracy, go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Tracy had a really interesting interview where she touched on doping and the role of the UCI in the Oceania region and her um, things that she's trying to do and, and basically her approach to the job. Mm. Um, I also liked Ashley Mormon's blog on the Giro Rosa and and about 
how it felt to have her GC position slip away. I thought it's very honest. Mm. Um, I liked it very much. Yeah, yeah. I, it's um, it's one of those things. I mean, we talk about it a lot, but uh, we really do get spoiled. You know, I think it's just one of those things that I like to remind myself of is you know. It's easy to let yourself sometimes get down or, or become frustrated or upset because of the the inherent injustices faced within women's cycling on a regular basis. But at the same time, we get so spoiled with all of these sort of great stories and really open and honest but well-told stories from inside the lives of these writers. You know, I don't yeah. know of anything like it where where you get such a sense of, of who these people are and what they're doing and, and, and stuff. It's it's just great. Yeah, so, yeah. and it's, it's one of those things where the, the, the disadvantage is there's no media. Um, you know, there's no media mm. coverage. We're not getting these stories told by the media. The advantage is that riders are making their own media. Yeah. And, I'd you know, it's the kind of thing where if you're talking about developing women's cycling, how you take it forward and develop it, while keeping those the things that make it make it so lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of um, this week on British TV, um, there's a program on on British TV channel ITV4, um, the Cycle Show, which is a magazine format program, an hour long every Monday at eight o'clock British time, repeated at nine o'clock British time, and it's a really interesting thing. It's uh, it's got it, it kind of covers cycling in all its glories. Um, this week they showed a fox hunt with G. Atherton, the downhill rider, being hunted by a pack of mad mountain bikers. So hang on, are you saying that G. Atherton's a fox? <laughs> boom <laughs> boom. <laughs> um, but this week on Monday, the cycle show is Women's Week. Nice. Now, you might be you might be thinking, oh, holy shit, Sarah, I don't have ITV4, or holy shit, Sarah, I'm in another country. But there's this brilliant website called filmon.com, filmon.com, which for some reason allows people, I don't know if you can see it outside of Europe, basically people can just tune in and see British TV live as it happens. I don't know. It seems completely legal. It's just advertising itself. Who knows? But a lot of people can watch the cycle show through Filmon. If you're one of them, um, you, if you know, if you're around, watch it. This week's Women's Week on this on the cycle show, they always have women in general. But this is going to feature Helen Wyman. Nice. Helen Wyman. She's Helen awesome. Wyman. She's great. Helen. Helen, 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 Helen is great. If you're not already a Helen Wyman fan, I think you have to declare yourself now or we're going to bar you from the podcast. <laughs> we're so good at enforcing our own rules, aren't we? <laughs> um, Helen, I just wanted to mention, because she's also got her Rich Mitch portrait, um, there's this cartoonist, illustrator, Richard Mitchelson, Rich Mitch, who does the um, very minimalist portraits of writers. You might have seen me yelling about how great I like the cups that you could get with Cav and Laura Trott and Victoria Pendleton and the greats of cycling. Um, but he's done one of Helen. So, yes, I'll put a link to that too because it's great. Awesome. Um, there's more women's cycling on TV. It's the Val Nord Mountain Bike World Cup this weekend, which is cross-country and downhill in Andorra. Um, in Andorra. Shit, in the Pyrenees. Um, <laughs> that starts today. It's the Eliminator today, and then it's the cross-country on Saturday, men's and women's races, and the men's and women's downhill on the Sunday, and you can watch it all live on redbull.tv. Awesome. And, yeah. 
Cool. Because, uh, you know, Red Bull know how to put on a bike race. Oh, or, holy shit, don't they? Or a Red set Bull, of bike races. Well, they mm. also really know how to sell it because they've got great commentators, um, former riders who are really sarcastic and funny and <laughs> brilliant and interesting. And then afterwards, they archive it. So if you are out or missed it or whatever, you can come back and watch it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. See, so you can you can still have a normal life around your fandom of all things, you know, mountain bikey. Yes, so, and yeah. I've said this before, but holy shit, downhill is so exciting to watch. <laughs> really, and you like downhill? I know. I hadn't picked up on that. That's so weird. I know. Yeah. Okay. <gasps> I know. And um, this this week this this time also is the last mountain bike World Cup competed in by the year by a certain Ms. Mariana Voss. Really? Don't expect her people to dominate and crush it. But last time she started like pretty much at the back of the pack and came through. I think she finished 11th in this extraordinary um, getting her way back. Um, I think she's out there for fun. Um, yeah, and to see whether she wants to carry on with it. I just just have a watch because Mariana's always, always good value. And I really, really like the way the commentators were. And because it was Mariana... They were the cameras did look at her last time she rode a mountain bike World Cup, but the commentators are really good. They know all about the riders. This is none of you know like when sometimes you watch women's cycling being commentated on by people who normally commentate on men's cycling. Yep. And it can be a little bit. It can leave it can leave huge gaps because there are huge gaps in their knowledge of you know yes. the fact that well, women can ride bikes and stuff. The, the Red Bull TV commentators aren't like that no no look i don't look sarah every time we talk about fucking mountain bike races you come on and you tell me some kind of bullshit obviously made up story about how good the red bull coverage is because they actually know what the fuck they're doing and i just i refuse to believe it you know i mean in men's road cycling we can't even get commentators that know about that so obviously it's impossible to have commentators that know about women's cycling in any form Obviously. And honestly, just watch it. You'll you'll see who's right, me or Dan. Because um, <laughs> that's really what we were talking about. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> what we mean when we talk about cycling. Yeah. <laughs> um, races coming up: Sparkassen Giro um, in Germany, which is a another f- amazing festival of racing. I particularly like in previous years, they had a great website, which was full of photos of their tiny, tiny toddlers race. It poured with rain, completely chucked it down. And then these photos of little tiny toddlers racing on their trikes with their mummies and daddies and aunties and uncles and guardians running alongside them, cheering them on in the sloshing rain. And yeah, it was adorable. But then they have like amazing, really good, strong ride races. If you win that race, you're tough as hell. Tough as hell. And then following up next week, the Route de France. This is a stage race that used to be disappeared and it's back. It's, it's, uh, uh, well, I'm curious, sorry, this is, I don't mean, this is going to sound kind of negative and I really don't mean it that way. I'm just curious because I hope it's back for good and regular, you know, like I, it, the disappearance and reappearance is not something that I want to see happening all the time is what I'm getting at. I'm let's, glad it's let's back. Just be, let's just be positive. Think positive. End on a positive note. Okay. Okay. Um, a sharp. Is that positive? I, Sing it to me. Uh, let's just move. I'm positive that I'm not going to do that. Okay. 
Excellent. Um, that's it from me. Cool. Yeah, no, that's definitely it from me too because um, we've been going for quite a while. We've kept it to a short, punchy three or four hours. So um, <laughs> thanks thanks for sticking it out with us. But there, honestly, there was a lot to talk about this week. Um, we will be back next week to to talk more racing and hopefully have even more great news and um, and updates to share about the, the state of women's cycling. It is, you know, it's such an exciting time to be a part of and a fan of this sport. And so, yeah. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Sarah, for um, for keeping me semi honest. <laughs> Someone has to. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye.